Welcome to the Rebel Speaker Podcast, where we break the tried and true presentation rules so that you can create a speech that stands out, makes an impact, and positions you as the go-to expert. And now your host, the instigator of the presentation rebellion, Dr. Michelle Mazur. Is time not on your side when it comes to putting in the effort with your speaking. There just doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day to pitch for speaking gigs, to write your signature talk, and to really put yourself out there as a speaker. If this is you, I'll raise my hand right now, this is totally me, then you'll want to grab a pen and a piece of paper to listen to our guest expert today, Jessica Abel. She is a cartoonist, an author, an educator, and a speaker herself, and she knows all about the challenges around finding the time to do work that matters to you. Jessica is the author of the book, Growing Gills, How to Find Your Creative Focus When You're Drowning in Your Daily Life. She's also the chair of the illustration program at Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And she loves to help creative people with big ideas, and that's me and you, get past procrastination and anxiety and get on with the business of making their game-changing creative work real in the world. Welcome to the Rebel Speaker Podcast, Jessica. Thank you. It's so, so fun to be here. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. I posted that I was having someone come on to talk about the challenges around finding time for your creative work and time for your speaking. And people in my Facebook group were so excited because this is one area that they really need a lot of help. So to start, here's the question for you. Why do people struggle to create time for their creative work? Or in this case with speakers, why are they struggling to create time to write their signature talk or pitch for speaking opportunities? I think the core of it is that the kind of work that this is, and you know, there's plenty of other creative people who have parallel problems, is it's self-generated creative work. Nobody's assigning it to you. There's no boss who's like, where's your signature talk? You know, there's no deadline for this, except there are deadlines, you know, over and over again for pitching, of course, but there's always going to be another deadline. There's always going to be another thing. The fact that it's self-generated like that means that what it requires is this kind of a level of self-belief that is really difficult for people to maintain day to day. A level of believing that this way of spending your time is the most important way to spend your time. People give lip service to it all the time. I'm sure you have this all the time where people in your group are like, this is the most important thing for me. This is what I want to be doing with my life. You know, I want to be a speaker. It's so important. But when it comes down to actually putting it in the calendar and spending time on it, everything else comes up first. It's about holding on to that belief and saying like, okay, yes, this is important enough to me to take this other thing that's also important and put it on the side. You know, Eisenhower grid, I'm sure you've seen this thing of like urgent versus uh, urgent and important. So I've actually, with my students, I've translated that because urgent and important don't mean anything to me to vital and, and pressing. So vital work is what in the Eisenhower grid is like important work, right? Vital work is the work that builds your future, you know, builds the life you want to have, you know, on a personal level, on a professional level, in all the different ways. And then you have pressing work, which is work that's like right there in your face, which is like, do it now. You got to do this thing. You know, it's coming up, blah, blah, blah. So maybe it's the stuff for your job. You know, lots of other pressing work, which is also vital is like taking care of your children, you know, or doing stuff, whatever. Like there are things that are actually should take precedence, right? But what's the hardest thing to do is to prioritize work that's vital, but not pressing at all. 
there are several things I want to unpack in this. I love the reframe of the Eisenhower grid. That was very helpful for me, and I'll get back to that in a second. But this notion of self-belief, you don't have a deadline. There's no one who's checking in and seeing if you're doing your talk or pitching. Even though we say to people like, oh yeah, this is my thing. I'm going to do this. How do we increase our self-belief that it's worth it? Especially if we have tried pitching in the past and maybe you know, you get crickets in the inbox or thanks, but no thanks. And it starts making you feel like, oh, this work isn't important. I think that's a really tricky question. Um, and I don't know that I have a really great answer for it. I think that the main thing for me would be simply acknowledging that it's hard, that this is something that's hard to believe. Starting there, you know, starting with this sense that like, it's okay to have doubts about this. Everybody has doubts about this. I mean, the whole, you know, it's an imposter syndrome problem to a certain extent. Yeah. The way that you get better at writing talks, giving talks, pitching for talks is by doing it. And if you're doing it, then you are it. Like you are a speaker, <laughs> you know, that is your thing if you're doing it. And I think that you have to embrace that just sort of day-to-day -day action without necessarily paying too much attention to results initially and kind of let the action itself be the reward. Mm -hmm. And that sounds completely unsatisfactory. I realize that. But I mean, I don't know how to say like how to take that feeling of like, I am not worthy of this and people don't care. Mm -hmm. There's ways also, I think, to go out and sort of test your idea. That's sort of heading in a different direction. You know, we're talking about self-belief. It's about saying like, I deserve to spend time with myself and my own ideas are worthy. So it comes down to that and it has nothing to do with whether other people accept them and want to hear them and care or not. It really is not about that. It's about whether you feel like what you have to say is worth saying. And can you reaffirm to yourself that it's worth saying? Can you tell yourself like, this is worth doing because the activity itself is worth doing? And I think if you can get to that base, that base level, you can use that as sort of a jumping off point. Does that? Oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah, no, no, I think you're hitting the nail on the head because that makes a lot of sense because it is about the activity, the, you know, the pitching, the writing, the signature talk and controlling what you can control. Like I can control the effort that I put in to writing my talk or getting better at speaking or doing outreach. Like I control all of that, but I can't control what people will say or do as a response. So it's really about reframing it and saying, it's a worthwhile investment of my time to do this, no matter what the results are. Which is so hard. Because <laughs> if you're not getting results, you're just like, ah, oh, forget it. I mean, what's the point, right? But I think that the way that, you know, the way you get better at it and the way that you start getting results is by continuing to work down that path. And I know that the training that you do, Michelle, and like the kinds of advice you give about finding the, the idea, the core of your talk and and really bringing that out, I think that really dovetails super nicely with this. The idea that you do need a big idea at the core of your signature talk. That big idea is your idea. It's what you want to share with the world. And if you concentrate on what you want to share, what you want to bring out in other people, what you want to help them with, and that that big idea sort of encapsulates that, even if you aren't getting the talks that you want to get, you can still share that idea in lots of ways and start getting response on it and start feeling like you are talking about something people want to hear, you know, and really like building an audience around what you want to talk about, blog posting and mm -hmm. doing social media things on this big idea and kind of building that up as your platform. 
Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's really actionable. It also reminded me of Stephen King's book on writing, where he talks about when he started out, how much writing he did and sending things out to people who might want to publish him and never hearing anything back. He was just at it all of the time. And as he was doing it, he was getting better at his craft. So he got to the point where he could get accepted. And I think it is partially making that, I mean, writing was a priority for him. If he didn't do it, he wasn't breathing. So, and it, right, but I think that that's a really high bar and that can yeah. be a problem. Yeah, that like this has to be as important as breathing is like, that's a really high bar. Yeah. And I think, you know, more to the point, like, if you feel like you really have something to share that will help people mm -hmm. start sharing it and helping people that will help reinforce this idea that it's worth doing. Yeah, absolutely. So in your book, which I love and I need to go through and read very carefully because there's so many actionable ideas on how to create time and find your creative focus. What are some of the big obstacles that get in people's way from actually doing their creative work? Well, the biggest, I mean, there are all kinds of individual things in people's individual lives, yes. right? There's, there could be anything. So, I, you know, there's, it's not, there's not much point in doing sort of a laundry list in that sense. But I think the thing that I, as I was writing the book and sort of bringing together threads from various mm -hmm. places that I'd written before, what I realized is all of this falls under kind of the big heading of dilemma. So the thing that stops you from taking action is a dilemma. And what the dilemma is kind of depends on who you are and like what you're struggling with in this moment. A dilemma is a situation in which you have more one, you have two or more options that both have positives and negatives to them. No matter what you do, you're sacrificing something, but you're gaining something and you have to, it's a, it's a difficult decision to make, you know, a really difficult decision. Oh, yeah. An example of that would be like, you can work on your talk, you know, write your talk, or you can cook a nice dinner and eat dinner with your spouse. The alternate situation is if you spend that time writing your talk, you have to get takeout or, you know, eat frozen food or something. You're going to eat, but like, it's not going to be that much fun and you're not going to have that much time. And so you lose out on this time with your spouse, the cooking, which you may really enjoy and like having perfect dinner or whatever it is, but you gain the time for writing. Now you can see that how this is a dilemma, right? These are both very important things. Say either one is necessarily the correct choice on any given day. But at some point, if you want to write the talk, you've got to make some choices and you have to make some sacrifices. And so the thing that I think stops people and causes procrastination is not just having those choices to make, but not even knowing what the choices are. So it's not only you have dilemmas, but they're hidden. You don't think about the fact that the reason you don't want to write, sit down and write your talk tonight is that you haven't seen your spouse in like a week. You've been working late and busy, busy, and you really want to have this time. And you don't realize that that is what's stopping you on that particular day. The key then is to really think about it and say like, why am I getting derailed here? Like, what's stopping me? What is the choice I'm making? And a lot of times it's a choice that's relatively easy to make once you see that, once you understand that. But it takes a little bit of detective work, I think, to figure out what it is in a given short, in a given moment. Well, I love that idea of like, yeah, it's a dilemma. You're weighing two things against each other and wondering like, I can spend time with my spouse and that's going to be really fulfilling and it's good for our relationship or I can spend time writing my talk and that's going to be fulfilling as well and it's going to get my message out there and yeah, and, and dealing with the trade-off. And so I like the way of thinking about that so that you can actually prioritize. Right. And a lot of times what you need to do really is figure out ahead of time what those choices are going to be. And once you figure out what those choices are going to be, then you decide before you hit those choices, which choice you're going to make. Again, it could be either choice. You know, I'm going to sacrifice my writing time to have dinner tonight 
because it's really important or vice versa, but you decide before the point of decision so that you're primed for that. And you're also not spinning and wasting time doing like just spinning out and thinking about your options yeah, you can just totally. do and instead of totally. make decision fatigue is not there because you've already made the decision. Yeah. And yeah, you might, you know, you might backslide and not do the thing you said you were going to do that always happens or can happen, but like it helps you along the way. And also the, the cost that you're paying, whatever the price is that you're paying, the thing you're sacrificing feels like you've already taken it into consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, you've already sort of paid it, most of it, you know, before you actually do the thing. So one of my favorite concepts from your book is this idea of idea debt. I know you had a blog post on this that went pretty much viral, but I found it fascinating. So can you explain to us, like, what is idea debt and how do you think it impacts speakers? Well, idea debt, the way it was sort of explained to me initially, because it's a a term that um, Kazu Kibuishi, the cartoonist, came up with. Basically, it's about getting too invested in an idea before you start working on it, before you actually put the work into it. And I think there's actually a couple different things that go into it. And his metaphor, which I thought was really good, is he's a snowboarder. And he's like, when he goes to the parks and he's snowboarding, he would see these young guys like at the top of the jumps, just standing there looking at the jumps, like studying, like, how is that going to go? You know, basically those guys there are getting idea debt as they stand there. They're getting physically colder, so less capable of actually hitting, like making the jump, but also the image of what the jump should look like is getting bigger and bigger and bigger until they're overwhelmed by it and they're unable to actually perform. You know, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I learned to either take the jump or skip it, one or the other. And both those sides represented something very interesting to me because he was basically talking about the take the jump idea is about perfectionism. Having the image of, you know, in, in the case of your listeners, being on the TED stage and like having the adulation of millions and, you know, whatever. And you have this image of what your talk is going to do and the change it's going to make in the world and how famous you're going to be and all that other stuff. And so you can't even write your, you know, you can't even figure out what your big idea is because it, it's just too yeah. overwhelming. You can't hit that mark. But the other piece of it, which is the skip it part, was equally interesting to me. And I don't think Kazu was really talking about this, but to me, it immediately brought this up, which is the fact that most people who are big thinkers, creative, all this other stuff, they have so many ideas all the time. Often you'll have some idea for something you wanted to do 10 years ago, and you still feel like you have to do it because you had that idea, you somehow like owe it to yourself to finish this thing. And I think that one of the things you talk about a lot, which I think is super smart, is like you have a big idea, not just for your talk, but in general, like you, this is the thing you talk about. This is your, give me the word you'll, you use. It's like your, uh, <laughs> so Hilda, what you're known for. Yeah, what you're known for. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> the, the thing that you're known for is basically one thing, right? And so for me, like I have been all kinds of things in the past and I'm known for lots of different things, but the thing I'm working on being known for right now is helping creative people actually make their work and get it into the world. I don't have a one word description for that yet. You can help me out with that, Michelle. Um, (laughs) That's what I do. That's what I'm doing. And I'm trying to keep it very, very focused like that. And if I have other ideas, which I do all the time, I have to just jettison those ideas. Or if I feel like I can't, then what I'll do is I'll keep a list of them, like in Evernote or something, which is like something I could do someday if I want. But even that can be a burden. You think like, oh, I've got my someday maybe list. Mm. And that can sort of keep you from focusing on the thing that's right in front of you. It can really, it can break your focus to have more than one project. So my big thing I teach my students is the one goal, have one goal at a time. 
idea of debt is having too many things and trying to juggle them all. Basically allocate brain space and time in the calendar to all kinds of different things instead of choosing one. Even for people who do have multiple things they want to do, I say one now. Do one right now and finish it and then move on to the next thing. The act of doing that, making that decision is transformational. I mean, it changes everything. I love that because that's where I see speakers really getting stuck is that, you know, they have either all of these ideas for their talk or, oh, I could talk about this or I can talk about that. And they haven't focused on the one thing they want to be known for or even getting started in speaking is pretty overwhelming. And there are all these experts with their shoulds and saying, oh, you should have a sizzle reel. Oh, you should have a speaker's one sheet. Oh, you should be, you know, making 10 cold calls a day. Oh, you should, 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 which I know you also talk about the should monster. So kind of going into that, but it takes them away from their focus and acting on that focus. Because like with you, since you have such a clear goal of helping creatives get their work into the world, you can evaluate an idea and say, is this going to help with that? Or is it a distraction? And if it's a distraction, you can just clear it away. Yeah. And I mean, I should say like, I'm also really well known for storytelling. Yeah. For storytelling. I get asked, in full disclosure here, I am one of Michelle's clients, and we wrote an awesome talk, which I have not pitched anywhere. Part of the reason for that is I've been doing all kinds of speaking and workshops in the last year, but all on this other thing that I do, and all because people came to me and I didn't pitch it, you know, so it was just coming to me, and I was like, okay, well, I'm kind of full. I'm not talking about the thing I want to be talking about, but like whenever I have ideas having to do with storytelling now, even though I'm really well known for that, it's something that I really enjoy doing. I very painfully have to take those things and set them aside and say, okay, maybe I'll get back to this. It's not that it doesn't dovetail with what I'm doing, but if I try to talk about that too much, it's really going to distract from what my message is right now. It's really hard. I know it's hard. Oh, I know. Well, because it you are literally slamming the door on an opportunity and saying, no, not that, this, not right now, maybe someday. And that's, there are people out there who say, especially for speakers, like, you should speak anytime you can. And it's like, oh, not if it derails you from yeah. your I mean, focus. I have to say, if somebody calls me up and says, I've got a gig for you and, you know, talk about the storytelling and talk about out on the wire, I'm like, okay, I'll go. You know, yeah. I do it, but I don't, I don't pitch those things. I'm not trying to build that out. And that's where I draw the line for myself. You know, I still have to do work on those things, but, but yeah, I try to draw a line somewhere. So what's one thing speakers can do right now to start creating the time for their speaking? What's one good action? Okay. They should plan tomorrow. They should plan out tomorrow, plan an hour by hour calendar for tomorrow. And if tomorrow is completely full, make it the next day. <laughs> The thing they should do is print out a calendar, draw a calendar out of their full waking hours and start by marking out all the time that's already committed. So if you're going to be at your job and you can't do anything, you have to mark that out. If you're going to be commuting, you have to mark that out. If you're going to be eating breakfast or taking a shower, you have to mark that out. Every night, watch a TV show and you're going to watch a TV show, mark it out. Mm -hmm. You know, don't pretend that you're not the person you already are. I mean, obviously, you have to figure out ways to, like, create spaces in the schedule to do this work. And so maybe you say, okay, tomorrow I'm not going to watch the TV show. Or, but more likely, it's like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is instead of, you know, sitting around in the office for another half an hour talking to people and having coffee, I'm going to get right on the train and get home. And on the way on the train, I'm going to start writing out a, a list of things I'm going to work on when I get home. And so then you have, like, an hour, which you're going to work on your talk. This is related to the idea of dilemma and making these decisions ahead of time, not at the moment, but beforehand. 
decide what are you going to do, you know, what time is available to you. And any way you can find efficiencies by not necessarily by cutting things out, I mean, you're still going to shower, you're still going to eat breakfast, you know, but by grouping them up with other activities so that you leave a little bit more time, mm-hmm. that's when you can find sort of find a window for beginning to work. Ideally, you do this sort of a week out ahead and, and you plan, you know, chunks of time throughout your week that you're going to work on your talk or work on pitching. But just to keep it ultra simple, just plan one day so it doesn't get overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I love that because it's a twist on time blocking because everybody tells you, oh, time block your calendar. I have tried time blocking and I have failed miserably at time blocking. But what I like about this is I can sit down tonight at the end of my day and look at tomorrow and see what I'm doing when and block out the time. So, so great. So actionable. The final question I have for you. This was the biggest question everybody was asking in the Rebel Speaker Facebook group. You're making progress. You're doing the work. It's going well. And then all of a sudden, you get derailed. You know, your car breaks down. You get sick. Your child gets sick. How do you get back on track after you get derailed? Okay, my number one tip for this is forgive yourself. Start by forgiving yourself by saying that's life. It happens. It's not even really being derailed. It's just a pattern that happens in life that you have times when you can work really hard and times when you can't because something else happens. Look at it as a repeating pattern instead of like you're on a train and all of a sudden, boom, you're crashed and everything's ruined. You know, it's, that's self-defeating. This is life. This is what life is like. I was teaching a cohort of the Creative Focus Workshop last November. Do I need to say any more? <laughs> <laughs> We were in the middle of week three in November. So um, yeah, people got super derailed. And for a really long time, it really took a while to get back. But it's like, this is what life is like. So start with forgiving yourself and saying like, normal, it's fine. And make a schedule for tomorrow, block out tomorrow. But start with the forgiveness piece. Yeah, because I think people are really hard on themselves. Like, oh, I was doing all of this great outreach, or I've been really working on the talk. And then, bam, something happens and they're like, oh, I suck. I think that's the, like, I suck for not getting this done, even though my kid was home for seven days and I was taking care of them. Like, that's the reaction. Not that. Even if it's like, oh, you know, I started reading a novel and I couldn't put it down and then I didn't get enough sleep and so I couldn't work for, you know, I had to catch up for a couple days. Okay. Welcome to life. You know, (laughs) remember how we talked at the beginning, how this is self-generated creative work? There is no deadline. There's no deadline. And as long as you're moving towards the goal that you want to hit, it's going to be intermittent, but you know, you're moving in the right direction, then you're doing what you need to be doing to, to do your vital work. And that's, what's really important. Yeah. I love that. So Jessica, this has been amazing. So many great actionable insights for speakers to actually create that time to do their creative work, to get their message. Where can people find you online and where can we get your book? Oh, well, it's easy to find me. I'm at jessicaable.com. So it's J-E-S-S-I-C-A-A-B-E-L.com. You can find my book at jessicaable.com slash growing gills. So it's with a hyphen, growing hyphen gills. And also on Amazon, it's available as an ebook or a actual print on demand paper book, which is way more fun to me, but you know, (laughs) Depends, depends on how you like to roll. 
Yeah, and I have to say, do pick up Jessica's book. It has been really great for me to reimmerse myself into your work because it so applies to everything that I'm doing as a creative entrepreneur and somebody who's trying to get my message out into the world. So pick up Growing Gills at Jessica's website or at Amazon. And thank you so much for spending time with us on the Rebel Speaker Podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the Rebel Speaker Podcast. If you're loving this show, please rate and review it on iTunes. It is the best way for speakers like you to find out about us. And you can learn more about Communication Rebels coaching and consulting services that help business owners and speakers make a bigger impact with their message while building a speaking business on their own terms at drmichellemazur.com.